the Jesus way. We're talking about this uh, term. How do you live within the economy of God? I mean, what, what is that? When Jesus came to earth, he had a profound message, a message that would have been news to people who had been anticipating that God would one day come and put the wrong world to rights. That if you like, his presence and his power would so pervade this world that his, his, if you like, that his very presence would fill this earth like the water covers the sea. That was their anticipation that one day God would put and banish injustice from the earth. That there would be a time when decay and death and darkness and the disease called sin that sense within each one of us to say, God, get out of my life. I want to run things my way. That that would come and pervade the world and it was coming through the person of Jesus. And so he talked about it as a kingdom, God's kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? It's this, well, you could think about it in terms of God becoming king on earth, just as it is where he dwells in his heavenly spaces in the unseen world. We don't have kingdoms these days, we have economies. And so we can talk about it, if you like, in terms of God's economy coming to earth, breaking forth in the hearts and minds of human beings, transforming them, and so them embracing and dwelling within his kingdom. Two weeks ago, we talked about the mathematics of heaven, the math of heaven, um, that, that the way in which the kingdoms of this earth are often oriented are towards greed and power. That is, when someone is left unfettered, they tend towards self-interest. When they have power, that's what corrupts. And this idea of accumulation and, and greed, the acquisition of more. In fact, our young people have been discovering they go over to another land, another country where, where things are less, but relationships and connection to other is more. And, and it only reminds them of the deeply embedded ideology we have in the West is that if you satisfy your heart's desire with things, then you will be happy. And it's just profoundly not true once you're past a certain level, if you like, of shelter over your head and food on table, then there is profoundly far more. In fact, we've discovered two weeks ago that we become what we worship. If you worship, if your goal in life is, 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 is money or sexual encounters or just power and status, then sooner or later when you give your, if you like, your attention to those things, you give your power over to them. In the unseen world, there's a power that's reflected back to you and they take control of you. They start to, if you like, adjust and shift your thinking. If you worship those things, you become like them. Soon you will begin to view people in a monetary sense. Their worth and value is according to their how much money they have. If, if it's uh, sexual encounters you want, is that's the sum total of what your life is all about, then you'll begin to look at people and, and, and rank them according to the attractiveness you think that they have. Or if, if you like power and status, you will soon to rank everyone according to their social position and what you think, and it will shift your behavior and your thinking. We looked two weeks ago at the mathematics of heaven. When God's kingdom comes, his mathematics goes like this. If you have two of something and someone has none, then you give one of yours away. You have one and they have one. It's about redistribution because those things no longer have a hold of you. 
They're not the sum total of your life. Last week, we looked at defining success. Jesus was thrust out into the wilderness for 40 days. Is reenacting, for those who care to go deeper, an exodus event in which God is liberating people again. It's happening all again. And he, he has a whisper in his ear from the evil one, the, the devil himself in that unseen world. Why don't you satisfy yourself with your power? Feed yourself. Why don't you rule yourself? You can have the kingdoms of the world. Why don't you promote yourself? You could do a spectacular thing. Just like all the other kingdoms of this world. And Jesus, wanting to honor his father, just pushes them back and quietly says, No, no, no. I will not use my authority to do those things because if I do and I bend just once, I will become just like everyone else, just like all the other kingdoms of this world. You see, when the kingdom of heaven breaks through into the lives and the hearts and minds of human beings, there's a transformation. There's a revelation in which nothing is the same. And so last week we looked at defining success. And this week I want to touch on the theme of who's in. If that's what the kingdom of heaven is like, if that's what the king is like, who's in or rather who's out or rather how do you enter in in the first place. If you want to follow with me this morning, take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5. We're going to cover verses 1 to 32. We can't cover it all today. I want you to do it for some of uh, reading of yourself throughout the week. But this is how it looks. It's going to map out this way. In rapid fire succession, Luke introduces us to four men. Two of them are named. Two of them are unnamed. One's a fisherman by the name of Peter. Jesus is going to go to him. Two men are unnamed. One has a skin disease. One has a physical disability. And they come to Jesus. And then the fourth, his name, Levi, he's also going to go to, Jesus is going to come to him or he's going to go to him as well. And then we're left with a question that I want to finish on this morning in our time that we have together. Okay, Peter, you just saw the footage. Don't you love it? So much more real when you see the footage. A friend of mine just once said, Troy, I, I love the Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. I said, why is that? He goes, because I love the part where he says, God speaks to him. He says, now Moses, thou shalt go. He says, I love it. I said, why do you love it? He goes, because it's so much more real and when you see it in the videos, right, in the movies. And so we just saw some live footage. Peter's been out all night and he has been plunging the water. That's how fishermen work in Galilee. They throw their nets down. It's not like our fishing that we do with a single rod. And even in the dark night, they start to strike the surface. It both frightens the fish and it attracts them at the same time. And they've been out all night and they've been plunging the water and, and nothing has happened. They are exhausted and they come back into the shoreline and Jesus has a massive crowd around him and Jesus sees one of their both of their boats vacant he jumps in Peter's boat so he can speak from the water to the crowds around about him after he's spoken he turns to Peter and he says these words put out into the deepest part and let your nets down for a catch <laughs> Well, you can just feel and see it in this seasoned veteran of a fisherman. Master, replied Simon, we've been working hard all night and we have caught nothing. Okay, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down. Well, he lets the nets down and you saw what happened because we have the live footage. You saw what happened and, and, and the fish just race into this net and it's overflowing and it's, it's just absolutely swamped their boats. 
And in that very moment, when all the fish are in the boat, and Peter looks at Jesus, he experiences, if you like, for the first time, the overwhelming sense of awe and power and holiness of who Jesus is. And his first reaction is this. Go away. Go away from me. Leave me. Because I don't have all of my house in order. You get this, don't you? Do you remember those 3D images, the illusions? You go to the dentist, you look up. You're trying to see, you got all the colors, and you're trying to see there's a 3D image there. You know what I mean? I remember when they first brought these out years ago, you were walking in a shopping center, and there would be people who would just stand there. And you'd look around, and there's all these people standing looking at this, this image, and some of them like, and others are like, hmm. They don't see. And then there's this epiphany, this revelation, this, this, this insight. That's exactly what's happened to Peter. But then it's more penetrating that, because it's as though Jesus has just made him vulnerable in light of his power and who he is. It's as though he's had his whole world opened up. And Jesus is peering in and the first reaction he's had is, I don't belong with you and you don't belong with me. And Jesus' words are most profound here because he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, you'll be catching people. But follow me. So what is the kingdom of heaven like when it bursts forth in the person of Jesus, breaking into this world? When it lays us bare and we're open and and and. For a moment, Peter sees that his house isn't in order and in comparison, he just wants to run and Jesus says to him, don't. Don't be afraid. Just follow me. Just follow me. See, the good news of the kingdom of heaven is that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, God is for you. And he bids you come. Then we engage with another unnamed man. He has a skin disease. And he's already had a revelation of Jesus. He's already had a a repentance moment. He's already had, in the word is metanoia, a transformation. How do we know this? It's because he has heard that there is someone who is a healer and that God is working through him and he's healing people and dispelling sickness and decay and darkness. And, and, And so he's heard about him and he comes to Jesus. The only problem with this man is that he has a virulent skin disease. And it says that it's completely covered him. Now, in that culture of the day, that would be equivalent to a living death. Because a skin disease like the coronavirus was deemed to be contagious. And so you had to be, if you like, quarantined. Quarantined from God and quarantined from other people so they didn't catch it. So a leper or someone with a virulent skin disease would have to do a detour around people. That they would cover their mouth and they would call out from a distance, unclean. And so you can imagine this person is isolated from their community, not allowed to come close. He's deemed to be a diseased man that's contaminated and that's blemished. 
Now, the way it worked in that culture of the day is that if you had anything that had to do with a death or a decay in you, like a skin disease that would look like a living death, that you weren't allowed to go to the temple because your blemish would be shone near the presence of God. Those two things just can't dwell together. God's immortality cannot be next to corrupted human flesh that's mortal. And this just magnifies it even all the more. And so this man is isolated from God. He's isolated from his fellow human beings. But he hears that the kingdom of heaven is arriving through the person of Jesus. And he comes to him breaking all of the rules. He runs to Jesus and falls at his feet. And he says this, Lord, if you want, you can make me clean. You see, he's already believing, he's already anticipating, he's already had this revelation of who Jesus is, and so he breaks the boundary rules and steps over and falls at Jesus' feet. The only question in his mind is, will you, not can you? And so the response of Jesus here is profound. Jesus broke a rule, a boundary. He stretched out his hand and touched him. And rather than becoming contaminated, the power of the kingdom comes through him by the Spirit of God. And it actually transforms this man's physical body so that his ailment, his skin disease, is profoundly cured right there and then. And Jesus says, be clean. (laughs) Some years ago, I was talking to a family who had some young children who went and uh, journeyed up to Queensland for a holiday. They took their, I think, two young children at the time and uh, mum and dad put them uh, into their beds and they were quite young and so they had some time to themselves, you know how it is. Um, But one of the children was quieter longer than usual. And so so I'm told is that this couple then went and uh, opened up the door of the room only to discover that there had been a nuclear wasteland fallout in that room. Um, It seemed as though the child had woken up and discovered that they were really good at painting (laughs) and they had a new medium to to work with um, when they reached into their their nappy at the time. And and so as the parents had opened the door, I can't imagine who those parents were, um, they opened the door and, and discovered to their horror that uh, this child had actually gone ahead and and painted um, uh, their sheets, uh, every rung of the cot, (laughs) um, could reach the wall um, themselves, (laughs) and and the smell, it just... And they realized there and then that these two things could not coexist together. They're clean outside and that child's unclean on the inside. And so what did they do? Apparently they just left. They locked the door and and, and they left. They returned to Melbourne, leaving the child. No. No, they loved that child. They picked the child up. Took it, scrubbed it. Removed every stain cleaned the room out multiple times, restored it back to its rightful condition so they could exist together again. You see, you might be here this morning and when Jesus draws close, it's not that you sense your house is not in order, but you sense a profound sense of shame, of, of dirtiness, 
that somehow the stains of life and maybe things that you have consciously or unconsciously done have blemished you or you have been blemished. And you wonder, does the kingdom of heaven also extend to me? And the answer most profoundly is this, is that when the kingdom comes, it washes people clean. You see, it's like a river that's flowing from the throne room of heaven and when it comes and it pours itself out through Jesus, it reaches into the hearts and minds and peoples and it washes stains, it removes blemishes and it envelops you in its cleanliness. That's just what it is. That's what it does. That's what it's like. That is the kingdom of heaven. It flows like a river. And so then, in rapid fire, Luke tells another story. Jesus now is in a house, and there's another gathering, there's another meeting, and he's interacting with people. And there's someone else that's had a metanoia, a revelation, and and a, a transformation of their mind and their heart and their thinking, because this person has a physical disability, they have a paralysis. And, and and this time, the person obviously can't get to where Jesus is, but there's this conviction that God's kingdom is coming forth, breaking in into this world through Jesus. And so they just know if they can get to him. And so he's got a whole bunch of mates. And his mates, they pick him up on this this, this mattress that they have, and they, they bring him to the house where Jesus is. But the place is so crowded that they can't fit in. And so they do this outrageous thing. And this is where we're supposed to chuckle a little bit, because this is... Is kind of, this is like the, the funny side of things. Jesus isn't always serious. It's, it's funny, right? Because they say, I know, just like good mates, they say, let's, let's, let's do the roof. And, and so they climb up onto the roof and they start to pick it apart and, and they lower him down through the ceiling. Such is their conviction that Jesus will do something for this, this, their mate of his. And so they lower him down and Jesus looks at him and it goes like this. The crowd made it impossible for them to get through. So they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles, mattress and all, so that he landed right in the middle in front of Jesus. And Jesus saw what trust they had. And he said to him, my friend, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> I reckon if I was one of the mates there right there and then I would have gone, wait a second, we're dealing with the wrong issue here. <laughs> you see, see, we've come because of the paralysis. And see, we won't get Jesus or his encounters here unless we understand something about their world. They lived in a porous world. Their bodies were porous. And they believed that there was this interaction between three dynamics, the unseen world of darkness, the devil, and his unclean spirits, sickness, and breaking moral commands, falling short of who God was, sin, sickness, Satan, all together, wrapped together. And so they would often do what I'd say is like an ancient triage. They're always working out who did what to cause what. And so we don't know if Jesus is playing on that or if he actually believes there's some connection in this instance because it's not like that in all instances, but just in some instances, Jesus then says, your sins are forgiven, which would mean equivalent to if your sins are forgiven, then you can be made whole and you can be restored from your sickness. He saw a connection there. Not always, just in this case. And so in that moment, what happens is the other people here. Who does he think he is? He's blaspheming. Nobody can forgive sins. Only God can do that. That's right. 
Only God can do that. But Jesus looks to them and he says this, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. So he can prove that he can because the two are connected and so he does that. But if you want to be convinced that the Son has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, get up, pick up your mattress and go home. And he does. And the people are astounded. You see, when the kingdom of heaven comes and breaks forth into people's lives and the hearts and minds of this world, his message to you is, you don't have to fear, you are welcome, come and follow. And that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or has been done to you, he can wash clean your blemishes. But then there's other times in which we do feel a sense of guilt, that I've done wrong, I don't know what it was for this man. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been caught up in robbing or cheating or lying or stealing and you're wondering, does God's kingdom allow for someone like me? And his answer most profoundly through this man is you are welcome too because that's what God's kingdom is like. It flows like a river from the throne of God and it washes stains and it forgives wrongs and it transforms people's hearts and minds because that's what his kingdom is like. Are you following me? Because then there's the fourth person that leads to a question and his name's Levi and he's a tax collector You could imagine after meeting these people that there was just like an audible groan amongst Jesus' followers. Oh, a tax collector. I mean, surely this one doesn't qualify. He's been working for Herod, collecting taxes off our back, and he's nothing more than a white-collar crim. Oh, Levi, also known as Matthew, Him too? And so Jesus, it says, he went and saw a tax collector called Levi sitting in a tax office. Follow me, he said. Follow me. And in that moment, something of the profound good news of God and his kingdom reached forward out of Jesus and connected with Levi such that he had a transformation and a revelation right there in front of him. How do I know? Because this is what he says happened straight after that. He said he left everything, everything. He left his money, he left his booth, he left all the work he was attending to and just followed Jesus. And then the next moment we have him holding a party. Says Levi made a great feast for him in his house with all the other tax collectors and all of the other people around about him, the white collar crims. And and, and Levi is holding like this meet and greet session with Jesus. Fantastic. I want you to meet the person who's changed my life, who's transformed. Come and meet him. You can know him too. You see, the kingdom of heaven has broken into Levi's heart and mind because there's the equation 2 plus 0 equals 1 plus 1. Already the things that used to hold him are no longer holding him. He has a transformed heart and mind because that's what God's kingdom does. When it comes into someone's heart and mind, it removes the stains. It forgives the guilt. And it reaches out to the ones who say, I don't even, I'm at the bottom, I'm at the lowest, I am not, and it's for you as well. 
So it begs the question. You see, people saw this happening and they looked at this event and they thought to themselves, how can God, if the kingdom is coming through Jesus and his economy, how is it that these two things can mix together? And so they say, why? Why do you lot eat and drink with tax collectors and notorious sinners, the bottom of the bottom, the lowest of the low? And Jesus responds in turn like this. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. It's the sick people who do. I haven't come to call the righteous ones. I'm calling sinners to metanoia, transformation. You see, you might be here this morning and you're thinking, do I qualify for God's kingdom? And you're asking the wrong question. The only qualification, if you like to experience and encounter the kingdom of heaven breaking forth into your life is that you say, I don't have it all together. And I believe and see that God is bringing his kingdom through Jesus. And it's like a river that flows from the very throne room of God. And it's not something that you can buy your way into or bully your way into. It's not something that you qualify for with blood or uh, because you've been born into the right family. It's only something that you can receive and say, thank you. And would you do that for me? Because I see you and I want you and I'll follow because he's already done it all. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything if you like to receive it apart from say, Jesus, you've already done it all. I want to walk into it. And I say thank you. You see, the way in which we like to look at things is in terms of contractual arrangements. You know what I mean by that? You and I live in a world of the if-then. Let's say you're a worker here and you do all the different kinds of contractual arrangements. They go like this. If you do this thing for me, then I will do this thing for you. And you both have a mutual agreement. It's conditioned, right? That's the world we live in. It's contractual. And that's often how we look at God. We see him as a contractual God that says to us, if you obey my commands, then I will love you. That is profoundly wrong and not something of his kingdom. Rather, God is a covenant-making God who says, I love you. I will make a way to remove every boundary in your life that will actually inhibit you from knowing me in my presence, from dwelling with you. I will remove the stains. I will forgive the sins. I will say, do not fear, and I will come to you. It's nothing that you can earn. It's only something that you can receive. Many years ago, I was working in a domestic violence shelter for women getting away from long-term bad men who were violent. Remember, there was one particular lady, Cindy, not this Cindy. And she had a car that she just hadn't had three kids looking after them. I decided I'd worked out how to do a grease and oil change. I said, could I do it? I've got a mate who could. Could I have you? She gave me her prized possession. I drove it. We did the grease and oil change. 
and I looked in the back and I realized, man, this thing is, it's a bit messy. She'd probably never get a chance to clean it. So I took it to the car wash and I washed the car and I vacuumed every little skerrick out. I returned the car, gave her the keys. She didn't say anything because she hadn't looked at it. Three days later, there was a pounding on my door. It was always Cindy when it knocked so hard. I opened the door and she said like this, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? I said, what do you mean, Cindy? I have no idea what you're talking about. You know. I said, what? The car. You see, no one had done anything in her life that was unconditioned. Everything was conditioned. And that's how we think about God. If I do this, then he will love me. No. His love is like a river that flows from the throne room itself. And it washes people clean. And it forgives them of their sins and wrongs. And it says, do not fear, only come, would you? And the only thing that precludes you is someone who stands with their arms folded and says, that's not for me. I'm not sick. I don't need you. I don't want it. But his arms are open wide. It is unconditioned. And it is life the band's going to come up now and I would like us to finish with a song today it's the one that Lydia mentioned was so profound for her it's called build my life and I wonder if you're here this morning and with God you've been playing the game that kids play with their parents when they're growing up let's call it the love game and it goes like this. Mom, Dad, will you love me if I don't do what you say? Actually, the one before that, they do this. If they've got siblings, they say, who do you love more? Like, do you love me more than them? And the parent replies, of course, I love you more than them. <laughs> no, they say, we love you all the same. thought you'd say that no no but, but what about if um, what if I don't clean my room will you love me yeah I love you get angry but I love you what about what about if I drop out at school will you love me then yeah I love you What about if um, what about if I don't like anything you like and I want to do my own thing and I make big mistakes with my life? Are you going to still love me? Yeah, I'll still love you. What about if I get a really fast car and drive as far away from you as I can and never speak to you again? Will you still love me? Don't drive too fast, honey. Don't break the speed limit. That would be, Mom, 
dad. And I love you. What about if I hate you? What about if I rob from you, cheat from you, steal from you, and want to have nothing to do with you? Will you still love me? In God's economy, he says, yes. Because my love for you and my forgiving of you and my is unconditioned. But you either choose to experience the benefits of it or not according to how you want to respond to me, but it is open. And I wonder here this morning if you need a fresh revelation of Jesus, a fresh revelation of his love and his life. In a moment when we stand to sing, I'm going to have myself and um, I think Sharon and there's going to be a Kevin and Ellie. They're just going to be on the sides here. And, and as you sing this song, I would like this for you to be a song that you sing from your heart in worship to God. And if you need to have a fresh revelation because you've been treating Jesus like a contract Jesus, instead of experiencing his love and life, then I want you to get out of your chair, come down, and we're going to pray for you that you might experience a revelation of a transformation of God's incredible love. Because that's what his kingdom is like. It flows. Yeah? So why don't we all stand? And if you'd like to open up your heart and mind, don't be concerned with the person next to you. But if you sense God speaking to you this morning, then just come and receive prayer. But sing this and ask him to open up your heart and mind for a fresh understanding. Worthy of everything.